There is much foliage, but there is no fruit. There is much promise, but there is no produce. There is much beauty, but there is much barrenness at this time as the result of our Lord inspecting the fig tree. Today on the Songtime Broadcast, we'll continue our study here with Dr. Stephen Lawson as we're looking at our study in the Gospel of Mark and the days, each week looking at one of the days leading up to the cross and the resurrection. This message takes us to the story of the fig tree and reminds us that it lacked fruit, which is a real condemnation of the worship that was taking place in the temple in Jerusalem. Stay tuned for that message. But first, we're talking about evangelism and how to learn from some of the examples of C.S. Lewis as we're joined once again by uh, Randy Newman. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. We've all been through some form of evangelistic training. Even if it was simply the person who shared the gospel with you, they were kind of teaching you uh, how you came to the faith, uh, that that's a strategy, that you kind of adopt that, and maybe you've used that on other people. Maybe you've used it effectively. But for all of the strategies that we have been teaching and, and considering, a lot of them uh, have let us down. In fact, uh, there are a lot of strategies that I've used in the past. I don't use them anymore because they've sort of lost a sense of effectiveness, and I've moved on to uh, very different forms. But our guest today is Randy Newman, and he's written a book called Mere Evangelism, 10 Insights from C.S. Lewis to Help You Share Your Faith. And uh, Randy, you kind of have a completely different perspective. Although you are actually pulling from C.S. Lewis and his strategy for evangelism from many years ago, you also have a, a varied approach to this. You have a completely different idea on how to approach evangelism. What kind of advice do you have? Why do we need to have uh, new methods and new strategies to reach reach people? Why aren't the old effectives, uh, the old methods, as effective today? Well, well, first of all, we are told in Scripture that we, we, need to have, we need to vary our approaches. Now, the message doesn't change. We must not alter the message. But we do vary the approaches. And just even what we've been talking about, Jesus spoke to Nicodemus very differently than he spoke to the woman at the well. Um, Paul preached in Acts 13 in a synagogue very differently than he spoke on Mars Hill in Acts 17. And Paul himself, in in sort of uh, defending or explaining his methodology in 1 Corinthians 9, I, I became all things to all people. To, to the Jews, I took a certain kind of approach. To Greeks, I took a different approach. I became all things to all people. I varied my approach. So we shouldn't be surprised if there are different times that things change or different locations um, the northeast of the United States is very different than the southern states. Uh, the east and west coasts are very, very different than Midwest culturally and historically. Um, people have believed certain things in certain times and certain places that prepare the way for the gospel in different ways. So, I, I, you know, I just think biblically we're given that model. And then historically, we can just see God works in different ways in different parts of the world, always pointing people to the gospel and Jesus. Um, I, I had the um, blessing, although it didn't always feel that way as a blessing, of many, many years on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, now cr called Crew. 
And I was always in Northeast, uh, big city, uh, East Coast campuses. And things on those campuses did not work the way they worked in Alabama and <laughs> Ohio and Indiana. May the Lord bless those places. That's wonderful, I, all that. But, you know, we would gather for, for nationwide conferences and we would hear about methodologies and uh, tools and practices that were working really very well, wonderfully, in the southern United States and Midwest United States. And uh, at Towson State in Baltimore and the University of Pittsburgh and all of the campuses in the Washington, D.C. area, none of those things worked. They just didn't. I mean, they were non-starters. And I'm very, very grateful my uh, regional and area leaders gave me freedom to experiment. So I had to. We had to come up with different methodology. Um, in some parts of the country, you could say to someone, um, can I show you this uh, outline that explains uh, how you can know God personally? And in some places, at some times, people would say, that's great. Sure. Yeah, let's sit down and talk. Um, all the campuses where I were, if I said, can I show you this booklet? They're like, take your booklet as far away from me as possible. And maybe even some other ways they expressed it. So we just we just have to experiment and try different things. And I think our culture has changed so dramatically, even in just the last five years, let alone the last 25 years. Hmm. So we just need to experiment and try different things and and realize that our little corner of the world may be dramatically different than the rest of the world, even even close nearby. I mean, cities are so diverse now that what works on the Upper East Side of Manhattan is very, very different than Greenwich Village. Hmm. I think that one of the reasons people get discouraged in sharing their faith is because they've ascribed to a particular pattern of, or, of ideas or a canned approach. Someone else has told them, here are the questions you ask. It's kind of a script that they're given on how to do evangelism, and it doesn't work. And then they give up on evangelism altogether because they've tried it, it hasn't worked, and they're kind of at a loss. For any of our listeners who are kind of feeling that, maybe they get that sense, especially here in New England. We call them the frozen chosen, right? Um, why, what, what can they do and how it's almost like you're saying we need to become a student of evangelism and not just, uh, prescribe a, a script for evangelism. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. Um, well, you know, again, historically, um, God was doing a, a rather powerful work, I think, in our country, in the United States of America in the late 1960s and 1970s. Um, the 1960s were just this tremendous upheaval and all sorts of problems, violence, uh, racial tensions, um, lots of emphasis on drug use. And, and so it was, it was like this crazy time. And then um, it didn't totally counter it, but there was this rise of what people sometimes call the Jesus people movement in the 1970s. And I think it was a kind of mini revival. I mean, and, and again, Billy Graham crusades, that was even starting back in the, in the 50s and 60s. There, there was a unique special time of harvest and reaping, and it was wonderful, and it was successful. But there's always a danger of when you see that kind of success, you start relying on the success more than on the God of the harvest. And you start relying on your methodology and your tools. And it's like, look at look at how people showed up to Yankee Stadium to hear Billy Graham. The key must be Yankee Stadium or 
or the the sound system or, or I don't know. But but there are different times of sowing and reaping. And again, going back to John chapter four, after that encounter with the woman at the well, Jesus preaches a little mini sermon to his disciples about sowing and reaping. And they're both very important, but they're both rather different. Mm -hmm. And he does say in that passage, I, I encourage your listeners to dig into it. He's, he says that they, they both have to work together. And when the harvest comes, they both get to rejoice together. But he says that the sowers are doing the harder work. And I think in a lot of places in our world right now, this is a time of sowing far more than reaping. Now, there are other parts of the world where there's a, there's a reaping going on, which is great. Um, but God is at work in both the sowing and the reaping, and we need to get wisdom from God about, okay, what have you called me to? What role do I play in, in the, the kingdom that you are building and the, and the harvest that you are preparing? We've been talking with Randy Newman, the author of Mere Evangelism, 10 Insights from C.S. Lewis to Help You Share Your Faith. That's exactly what we want to do. We want to help you share your faith, and this book is a great resource that can help you do that. So if you would like to find out more information about Randy Newman and his book, Mere Evangelism, and get a copy for yourself, let us know. Give us a call, 508 362 7070. That's 508-362-7070. Well, today we are continuing our study here in Mark chapter 11 as we're looking at the days leading up to the cross and the resurrection. We're talking about one of those days each week, uh, really kind of slowing the pace down just a little bit and, and processing through all of these events. Today we're looking at the story of Jesus cursing the fig tree. And ultimately, seeing that it had no fruit, it is really a reflection. It's a symbol of the worship that's taking place in the temple. It looks great on the outside, but it is lacking something. It's lacking fruit. We'll build on that in just a moment. Here is Dr. Stephen Lawson with a closer look at Mark chapter 11. So this leads to second, the inspection of the fig tree. Having seen the tree, Jesus now draws near to it in order to inspect it for fruit. And so we read in the middle of verse 13, He went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And so we read in verse 13, When he came to it, meaning as he approached uh, this fig tree, he found nothing but leaves. Uh, Jesus discovers by observation. Jesus discovers by inspection and investigation that there are no figs, there is no fruit on this tree, only leaves. The tree from a distance looked very promising, but it had not fulfilled its purpose. It provided nothing. It was empty. It was barren. And Jesus at this moment would remain hungry. His physical needs would go unmet at the moment. From the outside, this tree looked good. From a distance, it looked very promising. But up close, upon closer scrutiny, on the branch, there was nothing whatsoever, no fruit. The tree was probably diseased is the explanation for this. 
It was probably diseased, and therefore it was a bad tree that would produce bad fruit, and if very diseased, no fruit and no figs at all. And so Jesus is sizing up this tree. And we can be rest assured that He sees everything about this tree with perfect vision. He sees it as it really is. He never misreads, even within His humanity, any situation. Even when Jesus operated within His humanity, it was nevertheless perfect humanity, and His judgments and assessments always conformed to reality. He was never hoodwinked. Everything is as Jesus sees that it is, and everything is as Jesus says that it is. And then he adds, Mark adds, this explanatory comment at the end of verse 13, for it was not the season for figs. The season for ripe figs was June, which was more than a month away. This time of the year was April. It is the time of the Passover. Uh, Mark 14, verse 1 makes that clear. And on the Jewish calendar, it was the month of Nisan, which is April on our calendar. And so in Israel, fig trees produced crops of little, or I say crops, began to push out little green buds in the month of March. And one could eat these green buds, but they were not very bountiful. They're just these buds. And come April, then many of the buds would, be, would yield uh, green leaves and the buds would drop off towards uh, uh, the end of May and early June and there would be the appearing of the figs. So at this time it is April as Jesus approached Jerusalem. And the normal fig season would not come until June. Mark makes that apparent at the end of verse 13, for it was not the season for figs. But it was reasonable for Jesus to expect to find something, as small as it might be, something that would be edible, though not very good, but something could be secured. And so as Jesus now arrives at this fig tree, what He discovers is there is absolutely nothing related to a forthcoming uh, crop of figs. Uh, this tree is obviously very deficient. It is very diseased. It, it is a bad tree. And even the little buds that would appear at this time of the year are not pushing forth from the branches. There is much foliage, but there is no fruit. There is much promise, but there is no produce. There is much beauty, but there is much barrenness at this time as the result of our Lord inspecting the fig tree. What is it that the temple of Israel was lacking in, in fruit? What, what specifically is the fruit that they lacked? We see this as symbolism here in the cursing of the fig tree, but what is it in that cursing that the people of Israel, the, the temple worship in particular, lacked? 
Well, we have a little bit of an insight when Jesus says that uh, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Uh, prayer there means the sacrifices that are being made and the the crying out to God, the calling on the name of the Lord, which is the Old Testament practice tied to sacrifices. Uh, but there's something more there, that and that it should be called a house of prayer for all the nations. What Israel had lacked was really its mission. It had no longer become evangelistic. It was going through all of the motions and, and doing so in a very haphazard way. It had a lot of leaves on the tree. It looked externally like it was doing everything right, but it had lost its outreach component. See, when you do the prayers correctly, when you are praying, we see this in the next part where Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. He says, whenever you pray and you ask anything in my name and believe it, you will receive it. Uh, What he's saying there is that if we are actually praying to God and calling on his name for forgiveness and we receive it because we believe it, he says in the the next point, he says, and forgiving our neighbors. What is he telling us? That when we properly deal with worship, we are preaching the gospel to ourselves and we're confessing our sins and we're crying out to God for grace and mercy. We're wrestling with that beam in our own eye. Then, he says, we will see clearly to help our neighbor with a speck in their eye. You see, when we're doing the work internally, when we are preaching the gospel to ourselves, it is fresh on our lips and we're ready to share it with those around us. And when we are giving our tithes and our offerings to God, what we are doing is tying our lives into his mission, trusting that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he will provide for us our daily bread. He's our heavenly father. He loves us. He cares for us. And he will take care of us when we are on mission with Jesus. So what is the fruit that the people of Israel lacked? They lacked the fruit of the ministry. Jesus said in uh, the parable of the sowers that he would spread that gospel seed onto four different soils and three of the soils would produce uh, green leaves. But only one would produce a crop. Only one would produce grain. And that is what he's looking for. Those who will produce a hundredfold. Because that is what happens when we are transformed by the gospel. We become ambassadors for his kingdom. And we go and share this good news with those who are lost. And that is the fruit of the gospel. What we are seeing happening in our own transformation but also in the people that we share the gospel with. So, do we want to be like the people of Israel and and seen with a lot of leaves but no fruit? No, we want to bear fruit that that is in line with the gospel message, and that's why we must share our faith. I hope that we've encouraged you. Go back and read these verses on your own. See the wonderful truths that are right there on the page in Mark chapter 11. And if we have encouraged you, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630. Or you can give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. But don't forget to tune in again tomorrow. We'll continue our study as we look at this major condemnation on the worship that was taking place in Israel. Jesus spoke excoriating words 
for the religious leadership of Israel. And He held them accountable for greater knowledge of the truth of the Word of God. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime and our late founder, Dr. John DeBrine, who has always encouraged you to grow in grace so that you won't groan in disgrace, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, Mark 10, 43-45. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many.